Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. Today's message does, does not have a title. I typically don't do that. It's, it's, I struggle coming up with titles. So what we're going to do is just start in Genesis 25, all right? So um, it says, and starting in verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. So Jacob and Esau are brothers. Esau is the oldest. Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom means red. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This story really seems almost irrelevant and uh, remarkable, if you think about it. Um, So what is a birthright? And were the lentils really that good, right? (laughs) So I've I've come in contact with people um, just uh, because of what I invest my time in uh, with... um, what I would consider to be my calling and my vocation, I've, I invest a lot of time around people who, who don't have food. Uh, and I've been around people who are starving. I've been around quite a few people who are starving. And when someone is that desperate, they are starving, they will do things that are un, unthinkable simply to survive. And I really don't want to even go down the line of things I've heard and seen, but it's, it's, it's unbelievable what people will do. When, when the survival instinct kicks in, they will set all priority aside simply to eat. What's going on here, that, that is not what's happening with Esau. Esau is not starving. We know that because there is food in his house. So when he says he is exhausted, your Bible may say famished or weary, depending upon what translation or version you read. And by the way, it's okay to read more than one version and translation. That's all right. Nobody has access to the Bible Jesus read because we don't have access to ancient Hebrew. So it's okay to read more than one translation or version. Obviously, you want to read one that's accurate. But Esau is not starving. Esau is weary. And because of his weariness, he exchanges his birthright for a bowl of lentils. Lentils are okay. It's not my first choice. I've had lentils. Maybe, maybe you love them. Um, I, I could probably relate to this story more if it was something along the lines of, hey, I'm really hungry um, and I'm, I'm willing to pay extra maybe for a slice of pizza. When you're walking through the airport, you pay a few extra dollars. Your appetite determines what price you're willing to pay, right? So people will spend 150 bucks on steak and foie gras because that's what their appetite longs for. Um, I tend to be a bit more frugal. So if I can get a hot dog for a couple dollars, I'm good. 
I'll spend four bucks on the hot dog if I'm at an airport, okay? But your appetite is what determines the price you're willing to pay. So Esau had a significant appetite, but his appetite was for the wrong thing. So what is a birthright? A birthright symbolized many things, but a birthright was something that God, it was associated with a blessing that God sovereignly gave to the firstborn son. This is something God did. And there were quite a few benefits that came with the birthright. Uh, If you were the firstborn son, you were given the birthright, and one of the things that came with it was a greater financial blessing. Um, And it was actually two to three times more than what the younger son would receive. It wasn't just 50-50. It was about two to three times more for a few reasons. And so, first, first of all, when you were given the birthright, you had access to more resource. You were the wealthy one in the family. If you came from a family that did not have a lot of resource or money, to be given the birthright, you were, you were literally given power to continue a legacy in your family. But you were also given wealth. It also represented authority. When you were given the birthright, you presided as judge in your family over all family-related affairs. It was, so when the father passes away, let's say, and then you have the mom and all of the siblings and a dispute comes up, they all appeared before the one who had the, the birthright. So they were given authority in the family. And the most coveted aspect, obviously, was the, just the blessing of God. Nothing replaces the touch of God. There are just some people that just have the touch of God on their life. We all have the touch of God on our life because of Jesus. But the most coveted aspect of the birthright was just supernatural blessing. It seemed like if you had the birthright and you inherited the birthright, whatever you seemed to do just prospered. Things just went a little better. So for Esau to come in after hunting and working and he's famished, to trade his birthright for a bowl of stew makes absolutely no sense. So why did he do it? Why did he sell his birthright for a bowl of lentils? Who in their right mind would throw away their future for something as temporary as a bowl of stew? Who would trade eternal significance for a bowl of stew? Who would say no to what God has for them for a bowl of stew? We would. We would. We all have. I like the way Paul puts it because it's so clear and it's unmistakable. All of us have sinned, Romans 3, 23, and fallen short of the glory of God. If you think about it, when, when God in Christ, we have this unbelievable inheritance. Every time we compromise or sin, we trade our inheritance for something as temporary as a bowl of stew. So now, now perhaps we all understand why this is relevant. This is probably a little more relevant than we thought, right? 
because we have all done this thing. Well, how do we do that? I just jotted down a few examples. Some of these are convicting, so I'm just, I'm just going to read them all. Um, but this is what dawned on me. Your bowl of stew could be something like a fear of failure. See, trading the birthright for a bowl of stew isn't just all of the bad stuff. Sometimes it's things that appear to be logical and rational, right? So a fear of failure, insecurity. Have you ever traded your birthright for a bowl of insecurity? I have. I had somebody the other day ask me this question. What idea are you doing nothing with because you're too concerned about what other people might say about you? Right? So sometimes insecurity. Sometimes it's remaining silent when we should speak up. Sometimes it is cowering in fear when we should really stand in faith. Sometimes it's being materialistic when the right decision is to be radically generous and kind. Sometimes it is gossiping rather than honoring. Sometimes it is choosing anger over love, jealousy and envy rather than serving the dreams of someone else. Sometimes it can be criticizing as opposed to creating, excusing problems rather than identifying solutions. Or to sum it all up, we just choose anything less than what Jesus says is best, right? So, but the Holy Spirit shows us why Esau traded his birthright, and it's recorded in Hebrews chapter 12. One of my favorite things when I read the Bible is when I come across the Holy Spirit's commentary about what happened, you know, beforehand. And so that's what we find in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 14. Remember, the Holy Spirit inspires Scripture, so this isn't just the opinion of the writer of Hebrews. This is the Spirit of God giving us insight into something that happened back in the day in the book of Genesis that was not recorded uh, through the hand of Moses when he wrote Genesis. Starting in Hebrews 12, verse 14, this is what it says. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. When you look at this, this, this isn't just about, I need to be holy and live, live right so that when I die, I can see the Lord. There's also something about living a holy life that allows us to see the Lord here. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace. Remember, I... I we just looked at Romans 3.23. All of us have sinned and fallen short. So the writer of Hebrews uses that same language. Looking carefully. What are we supposed to look at? It says looking carefully. Stick it under a microscope and really study it. What are we supposed to look at? Our heart. It's telling us to look carefully at our heart. Look carefully at ourselves. Why should we do that? So that we do not fall short of the grace of God. So how do we fall short of the grace of God? This is what it says. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. That word fornicator in the Greek New Testament is 
pornos. Where we get our word pornography. That phrase profane person means to give access. So the way I would describe it would be this, fake intimacy that opens the door to other things. Lest we be like Esau, a fornicator and profane person who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. It doesn't describe Esau as hungry. It does not describe him as famished. What does it look like to be weary in our soul? It manifests differently, but for Esau, when he was weary, he comes back in and he is famished. There is a weariness in his soul, and that weariness in his soul exists because he, has, he dwells in a realm of fake intimacy and fake connection, and because of that, he gives access to other things. So how did he give access to other things? What other things came in? It says bitterness. For you and I, it may be something else. It may be jealousy. I mean, I don't even want to fill in the blank. We'll let the Spirit of God do that because he's great at doing that with me, and I'm sure he is with you too. But when the door was opened, what came in Esau's door was bitterness. So when you think about it, here's Esau. He comes into the house. He is famished. He's hungry. He is the firstborn. He has access to the birthright. Wealth, authority, the supernatural blessing of God. And in a moment, he exchanges his birthright for a bowl of lentils. Why? Because of bitterness. I don't even know that Esau knew it was there. But because it was there, he did the unthinkable. It goes on to say, for you know that afterward when Esau, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, so after he changes, exchanges his birthright for bull of stew, he comes to this point where he realizes that was really dumb. I want it back. <laughs> right? This is what it says. He was rejected. And this is, this is um, cause for a pause, I know for me. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. To be clear, God always provides a place. In Christ, there is always a place for repentance. But it's our job to find the place. God provides a place. It's our job to come to that place. Esau sought for that place. He looked for a place to repent he sought, his, he sought God to make restoration. And I would suggest God always provides a place. The word of God is clear. He's willing that none perish. All come to repentance. So there's always this place for however long we're breathing and alive. But Esau couldn't find the place. I'm not sure why. The Bible doesn't tell us. What I'm thankful for is for those of us who are alive, there's always a place. But we've got to find it. So I want you to watch the progression, though, in Hebrews 12. A lack of pursuit towards holiness created bitterness. That bitterness defiled, and the defilement gave room to spiritual perversion. And because spiritual perversion flourished, Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. 
So maybe if we could all go back when Esau walks into the door. Let's just say Esau walks into the door. Here's Jacob over here at the stove cooking. Let's just assume it smelled really nice, okay? Esau's tired, perhaps sweat on his brow, maybe, maybe filthy. He comes in. He's about ready to make this decision. He smells the lentils. He sees them, and he's thinking, I've got to do this. Maybe if we could go back then, and as soon as Esau comes into the door, imagine a conversation with me. Hey, Esau, do you have a second? Come here. Hey, you're about to suggest something to Jacob, but before you do that, I have to tell you something. A few hundred years from now, what's going to happen is the descendants of your forefather, Abraham, they're going to be quite numerous. There will be at least a few million, conservatively, and they're going to live in this country called Egypt. It'll be a hard time, a difficult time. Approximately 430 years, they will be victims of human trafficking. But what's going to happen is Yahweh, the one whose name currently you don't know, he has yet to reveal his name. Yahweh is going to appear to a shepherd who actually grew up in the palace of Pharaoh. He's going to appear to a shepherd named Moses and have a conversation. And what's going to happen is God, Yahweh, will appear to Moses because he hears the cries of your descendants who are enslaved in Egypt. And this is what Yahweh is going to say. Esau. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, read this with me. The God of Abraham and the God of Esau. Esau, can you come here for a second? Before you trade your birthright for a bowl of stew, can I just tell you, because you're the firstborn and the birthright is yours to inherit, if you sell your birthright for a bowl of stew, your name will not even be mentioned when Yahweh reveals his name to Moses when he's about to emancipate a few million of your ancestors. Does that bowl of stew really smell that good, Esau? Esau, a few hundred years after Yahweh appears to Moses at Mount Horeb, there's going to be a tax collector, a tax collector who will be looked down upon by his Jewish brethren because he has sold himself to the Roman Empire simply to make money. That tax collector will be invited by Jesus to follow him. He will become a disciple. His name is Matthew. That tax collector who encounters Jesus before the Lamb of God is crucified is going to have his life changed. 
And Matthew, a tax collector, will be instrumental in communicating in written form the story of the Son of God to the world. We will call his writing the Gospel of Matthew. And the lineage of the Messiah is going to be written down. And it will endure through all eternity. And when Matthew writes the lineage of the Son of God in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1, this is what it says, Esau. Before you do what you're thinking about doing, can I just remind you what Matthew is going to write? He's going to say in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Read this with me. The son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Esau. As the firstborn, the one who should inherit the birthright, Esau, is it really worth trading everything for a bowl of stew? Esau, before you eat the stew, when the same Jesus that I just described to you is about ready to be betrayed and tortured and crucified before he's raised from the dead, can I just share with you, Esau, what's going to happen? Your descendants, Esau, will be, become known as the Edomites. By the time Jesus of Nazareth is born, the Edomites will have a different name, a Roman name. They will be called Idumeans. And there will be a family that, rule, that sits on the throne of ancient Palestine in Jerusalem over the Jewish people. They will be Idumeans, and their king will be called Herod the Great. Herod the Great will be one of your descendants, Esau. Luke 23 says, when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean, and when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had longed and desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign or miracle done by him. And so Herod questioned Jesus at some length, but he made him no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in a splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate, but he wasn't released. Jesus will be murdered and crucified. Esau, what you don't understand is this. Your descendants, the Edomites, the Idumeans, because you trade your birthright, the Idumeans, the Herods, will be instrumental in murdering the Son of God. Before you trade your birthright for a bowl of stew, do you understand that not only will Matthew, the tax collector, enlist the lineage of the Messiah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but because you trade your birthright for a bowl of stew, do you also understand your descendants will sit on a throne and be partially responsible to sentence the Messiah to die? There's no way, Esau, you know what you're about to do. There's no way you understand. And what's interesting is God saw it all from the beginning. 
the Bible says in Romans chapter 9, I'd like to read it to you. Romans chapter 9, verse 9, for this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Isaac is the one who gave the, birth, the blessing and the birthright, should have been to Esau. Verse 11, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Let me back up. Remember, the firstborn son always received the birthright, always. But here it says this, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, who, who is she? The mother of Jacob and Esau. She was told, the older will serve the younger. Long before Jacob and Esau were born, God knew that the younger will actually inherit the birthright. Why? It goes on to say this, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. So what does this mean? God doesn't hate anyone. God loves everybody. How do we know that? It's what the Bible says. John 3, 16, right? 1 John 4, 8, and the list goes on and on and on. For God so loved the world, the world including Esau. In Hebrew, in the Hebrew mind, the words love and hate are juxtaposed to mean the same thing. And sometimes they don't just show moral absolutes and emotional depth. They can also be used, these two words can be used to simply show preference. Would you like a hot dog or a hamburger? I love hot dogs. I hate hamburgers. I actually really enjoy hamburgers, but simply by saying I love hot dogs, I hate hamburgers, you know he wants a hot dog. That's an example, okay? When it says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, it is simply saying, God chose Jacob for the birthright. Even though Esau should have received the birthright, why would God choose Jacob and not Esau? Well, I really don't know, but I've got one reason that I can find. Here's what I found out years ago when I researched Romans 9. In the year 7 B.C., Herod the Great, the one who is a descendant of Esau, the one who sat on the throne of ancient Palestine, Herod the Great had two sons, Alexander and Aristobulus. And Herod had both of his sons assassinated. Had Esau been given the birthright, the lineage of the Messiah would have stopped in the year 7 B.C. God foreknowing God being sovereign knew that Herod will kill his sons and folded all of that free will. Yes, we have the ability to make decisions. Yes, but God seeing that rolled that back into his plan and he chooses to sovereignly give the birthright not to Esau, but to Jacob. It's called the mystery of election. There's two truths in this I want you to remember. Number one, we make decisions, and those decisions have a profound impact on what God can do in our life. And for those of you like me who have made decisions that you wish you would have never made, there is a place 
Esau sought for a place of repentance, but he found none. But there is a place that we can find where when we repent, God restores. And that place is Jesus. That place is falling at the feet of God where his grace and his mercy kiss the earth and he restores things, not because we deserve it. There is a place. And if you have traded what is best for something as futile as a bowl of stew, and you're sitting in here today and you're feeling weight, I want you to know there's a place. There's a place where God restores. So we make decisions. We have a free will. And in the midst of all of that, God is also sovereign. And God sees. And because God has foreknowledge, because God has foresight, God sees into the future. And he, before any of us were created, he rolled it up like a scroll. And he made his notes. And he annotated the story so that his purpose will endure. So if you've traded your birthright for a bowl of stew, the good news is there's a place where you can repent and God can restore. And if you've also experienced the consequence of other people, other people who have traded their birthright for a bowl of stew, and you're on the receiving end of some of those consequences, what you need to remember is there is this mystery called election and God in his sovereign will saw it coming before we were even created and he came up with another solution and you may not understand and that's okay I don't either but what I do know is this had God not chosen Jacob for the birthright we wouldn't have the Messiah your father is Abraham Isaac and Jacob. So Lord, we we throw this morning, we just lay our lives down at your feet. Lord, we cautiously and humbly just in this moment come before you. We want to do what Hebrews says. We want to look carefully. We want to look carefully at our own heart. And just right now, would you, with God, with the eyes of the Spirit of God, not with the eyes of shame, not with the eyes of assumption, but with the eyes of the Spirit of God, in this moment, look carefully at your heart. And it doesn't take long to see. And so as you look carefully with the Spirit of God, perhaps He is showing you things deep within, that have created an appetite. An appetite that, if not dealt with, will evolve. And if not dealt with, causes people like Esau to trade their birthright for a bowl of stew. For Esau, it was bitterness. For us, it may be something else. But today, I want to ask two questions before we pray and dismiss. And I'm going to ask you to be reverent going to ask you not to look around because this is a very personal, vulnerable question I'm about to ask. And the, fir- the first question is this. As you look carefully with the Spirit of God and as you look in your heart, 
Had Esau done this, he would have seen he would have seen something called bitterness. And had he dealt with that bitterness, it would have caused him to no longer trade his birthright for a bowl of stew. For us, it may be something else. But all I know is we all have stuff sometimes. It's not an excuse, but we, we have that in common. And if that's you, and you would say, I'm looking carefully, and there's something that I just need dealt with today because I don't want to feed it. Because if I feed it, I'll end up doing, I'll end up exchanging God's promise for something much more inferior. And if that's you, and you would just say, God, as a step of faith and a sign of humility, I am just going to, in this moment, lift up whatever's going on to you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You can even talk silently to God, but right where you're at, just take a moment and have a conversation with God, okay? You're not responding to me. Just talk to God. Look carefully at your heart and expose to God what's in your heart that has been distracting you from your birthright. haven't done so yet in the name of Christ Jesus ask the Father's forgiveness and it is there where you find the place that Esau looked for but never found ask God to forgive you and he says yes second question I want to ask is this perhaps you're in the room and you're not living for God Can I tell you what your birthright is? Your birthright is the complete opposite of this world. It is possible to live a life that is full of joy and peace. It's possible to have the abundant life Jesus talked about. It's possible to crucify shame. It's possible to let go of things that torment us day after day after day. It's possible to be free. It's possible to be whole. It's possible to be made new in Christ. And if that's not you, today you have an opportunity to, like Esau, rather than trading your birthright for a bowl of stew, trade your bowl of stew for a birthright. And if that's you and you would say, God, I want you to change my life. I need your forgiveness. I need a new start. I'm going to ask you to do something a a bit bold. I'm going to ask you to just make eye contact with me We'll start over here to the left. Make eye contact with me as a sign of faith. And when we all pray in a moment, if you're making eye contact with me, this is your step of faith saying, God, I am asking you to forgive me, Jesus. I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. If you're looking me in the eyes, you're saying, Jesus, I want you to change my life. I need you to change my life. I want today to be the beginning of a lifelong connection with you. Forgive my sin be my Lord and Savior. The good news is this. You are a sinner, Romans 3, 23. That means you have done things Jesus never did. And because you are a sinner, you deserve separation from God. It is spiritual death. 
that is Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. But the Bible's clear that Jesus died on the cross. He laid his life down for you. He paid a price you could never pay. He paid a price he should have never himself paid. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so the promise for you is this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, Romans 10.9. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Saved from what? Saved from everything we deserve. It's the divine exchange. We take our bowl of stew and we give it to God and he gives us an inheritance. It's supernatural and boy, is it worth it. If you're looking me in the eyes, you're saying, Jesus, I'm asking you to be my Lord and Savior and as a sign of faith, I'm making a physical move by making eye contact with Heath. In a moment, we're gonna pray. Please make eye contact with me if that's you. That's a good choice, sir. I'm proud of you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. It's a good choice. Yep. It's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Proud of you. Thank you, sir. Okay. I'm going to ask everyone to stand to your feet. And uh, what we're going to do before I bless you and we leave, we're going to all declare our faith. So what we're going to do is make a declaration and then I'll pray. There were some folks who looked up and those folks are doing what we have all, I'm assuming, at one point or another done. It is the greatest gift of all, salvation. It is the greatest miracle of all to exchange our bowl of stew for a birthright in Christ. We become part of the family of God. So we're going to declare our faith, all of us together. And those of you who looked up, um, I'm going to ask you to do the same. And before you slip out of here, Pastor Paul or one of the pastors, uh, some of the elders will be over here. And before you slip out, if you would like prayer or if you would like some additional just direction on what you can do to continue down the road you're starting today, because you should certainly shouldn't do it alone, there will be a group of folks over here who will meet with you. And I'll be available as well, all right? But let's declare our faith out loud. Today, Jesus, I declare you are the Son of God. You are who you say you are. And I ask you, either for the first time or again, to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me. Redeem me. Restore me. Take me as I am and change me. And for the rest of my life, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, I am yours. And now, Father, I pray for everyone who looked up. I pray that you will invade their space, that they will sense and see and experience and feel the power and the miracle of grace, that they will see what a divine reversal looks like, that they will see what can happen when the heart that is heavy is made light, that when the heart that is dark, somebody turns on the lights, 
that when the human heart that seems hopeless now all of a sudden is enraptured with hope because of who you are, Jesus. We thank you for the cross. And for those who looked up today, we pray, God, that you will do the work that you've done in our lives. We pray, God, that you will finish the work that you promised to finish. And from this day on, I pray that they will live as sons and daughters of the Most High God. I also pray for each one of us, God, that we will close the door and that we will never allow weariness in our soul to create an appetite that we give into. I pray that we will be strong and surrendered and that we will never in a moment of weariness, trade our birthright for something as simple as a bowl of stew. So may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. God bless you. We'll see you later.